Hello and welcome to the Diabetic Podcast. I'm Justin and on here I talk all things diabetes tech, news, management and beyond with industry leaders, educators and those living with diabetes. I spoke with Lauren Bongiorno, a fellow diabetes podcaster and founder of Risely Health, which is a virtual type 1 diabetes health coaching resource. That program is guided by a team of nationally board certified coaches who live with diabetes and they help people and families take ownership of their type 1 diabetes through virtual health coaching programs, practical education, and community. If you want to learn more about Risely, I've got a link in today's show notes. Lauren was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 7 on Halloween. Our discussion starts with her diagnosis and kind of what led to where she is now. Then we get into how people can take control of their diabetes and claim the right balance of control and living a free and fulfilling life with type 1 diabetes. We also get into hormones and insulin sensitivity, some really interesting things that you'll want to hear. Also, Lauren had me on her podcast a couple weeks ago. If you want to hear more about my relationship with diabetes tech, my cancer story, and my current battle with long COVID we even get into. You can check that out with a link to her podcast in today's show notes. The two of us are also hosting an Instagram live Q&A together on September 6th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. So be sure to tune into that, listen to both episodes, and then come in with your questions. Keep in mind that anything you hear on today's podcast or my content on social media and on YouTube is not medical advice. Always consult with your physician before making changes to your health care. All right, let's get into the conversation. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I was on yours two weeks ago, and I'm so happy to have you here now. I'm getting so much just in time this month. I don't <laughs> hate it at all. Thank you for having and me on. Of course, of course. So people, if you're listening, go check that episode out. Before we get into the nitty gritty, I want to learn more about you and your journey with diabetes. You were diagnosed at seven. Kind of tell me a little bit about that and kind of how it led you to where you are today. Yeah, so I will say never in my wildest dreams did I think that I would be doing type 1 diabetes full, full time where I am in my life right now as an adult, um, meaning living with type 1 diabetes because it is a full time job, but then also working in the diabetes space. Uh, yeah, was diagnosed November 1st, um, 2000. Yeah, this will, this year will be 23 years living with type 1 diabetes. Uh, it was the day after Halloween, so classic, ate, clearly ate too much candy and got it within 24 <laughs> hours. It's amazing how that happens, right? Um, wow. But yeah, my, my, um, my mom just noticed a ton of signs of just like really irritable drinking a lot of water going to the bathroom a ton um was saying to my dad and i think one of her friends my aunt um who she's really close with like something's just like not right and so she brought me to the doctor and it's the first time that i remember my mom crying um i think you know as a child your parents kind of you know try to shelter you and hide you from those emotions and i remember so clearly sitting in the doctor's office and just being like la da not going to school today and everything is fun and dandy and then all of a sudden my mom is just like hysterical crying outside the door with the doctor and she's on my phone she's on the phone with my dad and i can hear her saying we have to take her to the emergency room like meet us there and i was admitted for i think like a week which is so you know funny how now i think people get discharged within like a day or two and i was like fully there my grandparents my parents the neighbors like everyone was coming in like sleeping next to me um for a week straight while we figured out you know how to get me you know good to leave um, my blood sugar was super super high 
you know, just like a typical type of diabetes, you know, diagnosis, but wasn't in DKA and have never been very thankfully. Um, but yeah, left there, was on MDI for two years. And then not when I was nine, I was put on the Medtronic pump. So I was on that for, I think until like 19, no, maybe like 20, 21 years old. And then eventually went on the, the Omnipod that I'm on now today. Um, but a big part of my journey was that I grew up with a lot of great you know, endocrinologist access to care. Um, I was very privileged in in that way, and I still struggled. So I would say ages seven through eighteen, I was very much how I would describe my management style was. I was just like going. I was like, you know, not going to let diabetes stop me. So I equated that to like, don't slow down to nurture your diabetes, and it very much became living in this like proactive state where I was constantly chasing my highs, constantly chasing my lows. I was a big athlete, and so I just remember. Like the majority of my childhood, especially on the weekends around soccer, like games, like I just had a ring around my mouth of like Gatorade. Like we had these mini Gatorade bottles and I just like, it was always just had Gatorade on my face because I was just coming off the field, chugging Gatorade, going back on. And it was very much all of that. And then I was eventually recruited to go and play division one soccer in college down in North Carolina went there and realized like, Whoa, like this is a whole other world of competitive level. And you're competing for a spot on the field and it's not like the nice you know league kind of when you're younger high school where everybody's friends it's like your teammates are, are really you're competing against them in a way for a spot on the field and so august i remember september the first two months of getting there we were in the heat of north carolina it was humid it was hot and my blood sugars were going crazy and i remember being like okay i have to figure this out because even though i had great care up until then i was never really taught like well how do you improve your blood sugars there was a lot around like you know just keep your a1c pretty much below a 7.5 and i did um you know my whole life but it, it wasn't like how can we not just live and and you know, make it through each day? How can we actually thrive with this condition? So um, I kind of took matters into my own hands and I started learning about my patterns and about nutrition and became, you know, frankly, really obsessed with biohacking and just understanding how things affect me from, you know, to, from hormones to insulin sensitivity, to optimizing technology, to all of these things. And once I was like exposed to the results for myself, I was like, why, like, why are we not taught this, right? Like, why would we not be taught this by our doctors, the people who, you know, we're supposed to go to for this type of guidance to work with our disease? Um, and then I went into about like a five year kind of like sprint where I was in a very unhealthy place um, with my diabetes, even though my numbers were like perfect on paper. So um, when I say unhealthy place, it was a lot about the mindset piece. I remember going to the doctor my junior year of college. I had just studied abroad in Italy for six months and I sat in the doctor's office and the doctor came in and she was like, you have a 5.7 A1C. Like, how did you do this? This is incredible. Um, my mom was like, this is amazing. You're so healthy, like so proud of you. And I in that moment felt like such an imposter. And I remember sitting there being like, I cannot live one more single day like this because up until that point, I had stopped eating like bread. I was saying no to going out with my friends in Italy and like getting gelato. I was, you know, very limited because I was so obsessed with the things that I had, you know, was teaching myself and, and tried to really become perfect with diabetes. And as you know, there's no perfection with type one diabetes. And so that was when I really realized that it's so much more than just the A1C number and that, um, you can get to that place, but if you don't do it in a sustainable way, 
you know, you're not gonna, going to be happy. And at the end of the day, like that's what we're really craving. We're craving more freedom, more happiness, um, more confidence in ourselves. And so then the last phase I kind of went into and, you know, after that was really figuring out how can I have best of both worlds? How can I have the freedom and the like just experience all of life with food, adventure, travel, being out of routine, all of that that I had without fear ages seven through 18, but also how could I have these, these numbers that did make me feel good in that period of what I learned about my body and that biohacking kind of period. And so um, I went on this journey and, you know, today I have 5.6, 5.7 A1C for the past couple of years, but I eat pizza and I eat paninis and I eat, um, you know, whatever my body is craving and I, and I travel and I have a really healthy relationship with diabetes. And here we are, I think like eight years later at this point, and, and, uh, I have my company Risely Health and an incredible team of coaches that live with type one diabetes. And we've helped over 600 type ones and families of type one kids, uh, really reclaim ownership of their diabetes and support them outside the endocrinologist office. So that was a very long winded answer, <laughs> but I feel like the context is important because if it wasn't for all those struggles that I personally had, I would not be, you know, here today. Something you kind of touched on, which is also something that I kind of struggle with, honestly, is um, like you, you say that, you know, you were cutting out all these foods because you wanted these perfect levels and it was affecting your mental health. I do that and it does affect my mental health a bit. And I'm trying to be better about that. And I'm also trying to like have like bad highs not affect me much but they do mm -hmm. um luckily i don't allow it to linger in like a burnout very like it's very rare that i'll ever have burnout but i have burnout moments but can you just like tell me about the people that you're seeing come into your program like what is the burnout that they're experiencing oh, oh this is a great question so i think the burnout it, it comes from a few different things. What I'll share is that traditional burnout and the way that I think doctors speak about it. Like I remember my parents, they were always worried that like after 20 years, you know, I would hit this point where I would get burnt out because living with diabetes is just, you know, the daily decisions and the weight that we carry, you know, every single day it can compound and get to that point. And so the doctors kind of described to them like, hey, like the one thing you want to think about is later on in life, she may get burnout. And I think that, you know, equating length of time to burnout is just simply wrong because you can, be burnt out after the first year of having type 1 diabetes, right? And so it comes from a few different things. I think what we see the most um, is, first of all, burnout from the roller coaster numbers. So when your blood sugars are, your standard deviation is high and you're going up and you're going down and you're roller coastering or you're staying high for extended periods of time, your mood is impacted, your energy is impacted, your focus is impacted. And so you can have burnout simply just from not feeling great because of the impact on your, you know, your blood sugars have on your body. Number two, another reason for burnout is kind of what you're describing where it's like, I have such a high standard for myself. And so I, maybe there are possibly like education gaps and not really knowing how to be flexible and how to go out of routine with your diabetes and not knowing your body's patterns with that. And so it's like you, you try to do everything quote unquote right by limiting yourself, by restricting yourself. And that can lead to burnout itself because you realize, hey, this doesn't make me happy, right? There's a lot of things that humans, we need to be happy. One of them is certainty, right? We need to know that we're going to come home to food and we have access to, you know, a shelter and a place to sleep and water and all these things. And we also need spontaneity and, un and uncertainty, right? If life was the same every single day, that would be really boring. Um, and everybody needs those things to a different degree. So 
That's another reason. And the third reason that we see a lot of, Justin, we have so many people who will change careers or leave relationships throughout coaching um, with us because they realize that like, it's not the diabetes that's actually burning them out. It's the fact that they don't have space in their life for their diabetes because something around them is actually just toxic or really draining them or not allowing them to prioritize themselves. Yeah, that makes sense. Diabetes PTSD. Mm -hmm. I've experienced that, I think. Like a very light form of PTSD. I don't want to like undermine what that is. But after going low, like having a severe low, people come out of that feeling scared of using the medication we all need, insulin, right? Like, do you have people that come into your program that are like so afraid of insulin? Oh yeah, and it's and it's not just fear of insulin because of the because of it equating to a fear of low blood sugar. That's one of them for sure, right? A fear of hypoglycemia. People can experience it from a, tra a traumatic low that they've had. They could also experience it because the first time they were diagnosed, their doctor really emphasized, or not the first time they were diagnosed, like you know when they got diagnosed, uh, their doctor really emphasized hey, you really have to, you know, let me tell you stories about all the people who have died in their sleep because they gave too much insulin and they are telling them that because they think that like, hey, this is gonna be helpful for them to be really on their toes and be careful when they're going out to drink or all those things. But when you're diagnosed, you're so susceptible to really all the information that you're hearing and that could 20 years later stick with a person and, and contribute to that. But that's not the only reason. People are also afraid of or don't have a great relationship with insulin because they see it as, um, more of a medication and not a supplement. Uh, and so they're thinking like, it's bad to take more insulin. Like I want to try to limit the insulin I'm taking um, and and don't really connect that, hey, this is just like my body doesn't produce it. So I have to supplement it with it. And you know, it's not a bad thing. Um, another thing is like fear of weight gain, right? And not understanding really how like you going on insulin does not equate um, directly to you not being able to live in the body that you want to live in or feel good in. So um, there's multiple, you know, different reasons for that. Yeah, something you mentioned about doctors telling scary stories. I remember right around my diagnosis, my friend was like, oh, you need to see this scene from Sweet Magnolia, like the drink your juice Shelby scene. And it's oh like where gosh. Julia Roberts character, have you seen that? I haven't, but I oh think I've God. seen like a clip of it, but I'm thinking about like the panic room if you've ever seen that. Have you seen no. the panic room? Okay, oh, wait, does that kid have diabetes in that movie? That's the whole, the whole plot is okay. about, she's, there's intruders in the house, she's in the room with, um, oh, what's, I can't remember that main actor's name, but oh, jo Kristen, uh, I think it's- Joanne, uh, Julianne oh, Moore? Shoot, we're both no, 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 no. Um, Jodie Foster, jo Jodie oh, Foster. yes. She's I the mom, and then her daughter, her daughter, who's in Twilight, what's the movie? Um, Kristen, Kristen Stewart, oh my Stewart. God. Yeah, okay. she plays the type one daughter, and she's in the panic room, and like literally having a terrible low, and doesn't have her stuff, and so they have to like escape while the intruders are like downstairs, and try to get like the juice, but then they knock it over, it's a whole thing. So oh is it the God, same situation in Sweet Magnolia? That. Well, don't if you're susceptible no, to like this no, trauma. <laughs> no, I'm fine. No, no, I need to rewatch that. No, I'm fine. I need to rewatch that now okay. that I have type one. That's crazy. Um, yeah, but someone yeah. showed me that scene. It's a scary scene, and I was traumatized by it. It, mm. it was early diagnosis, right? So like, I was like, what? This, this is crazy. And I had experienced some lows at that point. I didn't know it could get that bad. So th that was crazy. I want to ask you about the right balance of looking at your numbers. I think I look at my numbers too often. 
mm-hmm. how do you balance looking at your numbers and your mental health and not being overly obsessed with that? Okay, so mental health is, I don't even say mental health, I think your mindset, we'll use that phrase, is 99%, maybe that's a little bit too high, maybe like 80% in my mind, um, really your what contributes to your lived experience with type 1 diabetes. The rest is kind of like just a little bit of education, right? Um, but your relationship to certain things. And so let's talk about your relationship to your blood sugars or your relationship to food. And the example you gave before where you were like, hey, like I don't want to, I'm, I'm eating and maybe choosing foods that are things that maybe I'd be happier if I cho- chose, you know, like other other things that are more, you know, not like they're more nourishing for the soul, let's say, than nourishing for the body. Um, it's the same situation, right? It, it depends on your intention behind it and your relationship to the thing so you could have two people one person is eating um you know uh choosing a salad both people are choosing a salad one person chose a salad because they are you know afraid of choosing something else because they don't want to have a high and that they are uh, you know contributing a high blood sugar to you know a negative self-worth and then you could have the other person who's choosing the salad saying like hey like i you know am choosing this not because i don't want to not go high just because like i'm feeling like you know i want to balance out and give myself a little more nutrients and maybe i you know have calls later on for work and i just want to set myself up for success right it's the same thing with blood sugars if you're looking at your blood sugars checking them and obsessing over them because of the fact that like you are fearful of going high or going low or you don't um, know how what to do right like if your blood sugar is starting to drop and you're afraid of that arrow while you're going into a work meeting right if you don't know if you don't have a healthy relationship with those numbers like checking them very frequently like that's going to be very draining for you in a way even though you are perceiving it to to give you more control it's probably not um whereas like i feel like i check my blood sugars a ton but i don't feel drained by diabetes i don't feel burnt out by it i don't feel like i think about it often um it's really comes down to your relationship to the blood sugars and and the arrows i think too yeah i think it's funny i think i also look at my blood sugars a lot during the day which is fine it doesn't really affect me that much but I think it's the times when you go to an event or you're, you're doing something special, like mm. you're going on a hike, you're at Coachella, and mm-hmm. that's when I think looking at your blood sugars often can kind of get in the way of like, I'm trying to live in this moment, but all of a sudden I'm worried about this thing. At least that's the way I was. I remember I went to Coachella, it was, you know, Uh, the first Coachella after being diagnosed and that was scary for me you know you're running around you're dancing you're drinking and you're kind of out of control or you can be out of control so Mm -hmm. that was really scary for me and I remember I learned that first day I had a terrible first day terrible first day Mm -hmm. mentally and the second day I I, when I was the just before I went I was like Justin today you're only gonna look at your numbers when there's a problem to address, when you get a notification. And that mm. was freeing. So that really helped me. So I think I try to find times in my, when I'm like, Justin, you wanna be in this moment, I take off my Apple Watch. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not gonna get alerts right now. And that's really helped me, but I, I really have gotten, I've gotten burnout moments from just like, the accessibility to our numbers. You know, I never really experienced, yeah. I just had like a few months of like testing my blood sugar. Like you, I'm sure you had a fair amount of time just kind of not having that accessibility of numbers all the time, which. 
right? Well, yeah, I, I didn't go on. The first CGM I went on was like the first, I, I had to be like a very early version of Dexcom. And I remember like my doctor sent it to me. I think it was like a sophomore in college. And I was like, you know, I kept it on for a day and it was like 250 points off. And I was like, what the heck? Like they're trying to like, what are, what is this company trying to do? Like there's, <laughs> this is so off. Like it's horrible. I literally was like, no, I'm not dealing with this right now. And then eventually, you know, got on the, the better versions. But yeah, I went the majority of my life without a CGM. So I love sometimes, um, you know, in between Dexcom changes, like I leave it off. I will go sometimes 48 hours, maybe like up till three days. And what I notice is the first day of not having the CGM on, I will check my phone out of habit and be like, oh, just kidding, like CGM's not on. But then after the first day, I stop going for it and I'm like, just realize that my level of anxiety, even though it's so acute, is definitely down. It's almost like, we don't realize until you don't have the CGM, like potentially like how much you're getting distra not distracted by the day, but how much your focus is, you know, being taken off what you're doing for your CGM or how much anxiety those that like that, that, that buzz, right? That buzz when you're in the middle of something and you hear the buzz and you're like, oh, like, let, I hope that's like an app something and that's not my Dexcom and you're like, oh, shoot, right? Like, um, yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely pros and cons of, of the CGM for sure. Yeah, I almost want to do like a a week without a CGM video where I vlog yeah. it. I think that'd be pretty cool. It's scary to do videos like that because it's like, this is your health. <laughs> but that right. could be a pretty cool experiment to kind of vlog through and just see what that's like. You know, I'm not going to go without life with a CGM, but it'd be neat to kind <laughs> you're, of like experience that again. You're by a yeah, you're the right. diabetes tech guy. You can't you can't do that. <laughs> I, I know. I'm taking the tech out of diabetic. We're just going to call me diabetic. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, th so there's there's a list of topics I wanted to talk to you about before we started this podcast. Well, last time we spoke, we got into a bunch of things that like a bunch of topics that you cover at Risely um, that are kind of important for many people to take into account when they're trying to get a handle of managing their diabetes. The first thing was the the relationship between insulin sensitivity and and your a1c mm -hmm. let's unpack that can you tell me a little bit about that relationship and are they like direct does one directly affect the other yeah so let me back up and kind of frame this conversation too because i think it's important so how we started talking about this was you know when people come to us you know as they come you know at various different levels of A1C. So some people come to us with an A1C of 6.1 and they're struggling and they need support. And it's a lot around the mindset, a lot around the, how do I go out of routine and feel more confident? Or how do I increase my time and range? My A1C looks great. Or we have people on the flip side with A1Cs of seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 and, and plus and above. Um, and no matter who comes in, we've recognized that the problem is not the A1C and the problem is not the number that is the result of the problem and the it's almost like if you think about it, an iceberg right if you have a, um, uh, an iceberg in the water the top part that you can see that is like the things that you feel on a daily basis you're like oh like my numbers are roller coastering and my time and range is low or my a1c is high or maybe my a1c is you know good and it's just where it is and that's my experience of what i know on a daily basis but then when you go beneath the water 
you see all of the things that are really the roots of why you're not feeling the best that you possibly can with diabetes. And those things are your relationship to food, to insulin, to yourself, your level of acceptance with diabetes, your, um, uh, let's say your, you know, education level on, on nutrition, on exercise, knowing your body's patterns, insulin sensitivity, insulin resistance, um, optimizing your technology, not just wearing it because there's a, there's a difference of being on a insulin pump and there that, and also optimizing your insulin pump and knowing how to use it for your body, right? There's all of these things that are the roots of whatever your numbers, you know, are. And so insulin sensitivity is one of those. And I know you were interested in talking about that and learning about that more. And so what I'll say, what I'll say about that is, you know, when I was first diagnosed and I had the old Medtronic pump, it was like the first version, Justin, you would die if you, I still have it. I think you literally, my grandpa, he made a chart that he laminated that I would keep in my tester. And the chart would say, when your blood sugar is this, this is how much insulin you can, you should give because it was off of just like, you know, the, the manual ratio correction. And so the pump you could not put in just like, oh, I'm 225. Like you would have to manually put in like, Hey, this is my blood sugar, and this is how much I'm I'm giving. Um, and so, anyways, uh, there was a, a, a feature on there, and instead of putting correction factor, which I'm not sure if I think some pumps may still have it, but they called it insulin sensitivity factor. And so, I thought my whole life like insulin sensitivity was just equated to something to do, you know, with the correction factor specifically. Um, and you know, when I went through those years in college where I became obsessed about biohacking and knowing my body's patterns and really educating myself, insulin sensitivity was like a big piece of that. And oftentimes we hear about the opposite, right? Insulin resistance um, is in the type two diabetes community. And we hear about it with, you know, people who have pre-diabetes. Oh, you know, they're pre-diabetic or you're type two. What this is, what this means is you have insulin resistance. Your body still makes insulin However, your body cannot use it effectively, and so we need to supplement that with either you know things like metformin, um, you know, uh, med- other medications, or you need to improve your diet and lifestyle. By having such a separation between type one and type two, and a lot of people in the type one community kind of like stiff arm type two, right? And we're like, oh no, I'm not that kind. I'm not type two, right? Because there's some kind of shame that can be involved with it. What we miss out on is how much how similar you know our our bodies, how many similarities there are actually between all types of diabetes. And it's not just type one or type two, there's gestational, there's type three, like there's so many different types, but insulin resistance and sensitivity is a commonality between everything. And so, um, what we, if we're just talking about like, you know, like what is insulin sensitivity? That's just like how easily your body can use the insulin to take the blood out of, or take the sugar out of your blood. And that's a good thing. And why that's a good thing. And the main benefits that you'll see from increasing your insulin sensitivity is it, you can, you know, uh, at the base level, you're increasing your insulin to carb ratio and your correction factor. So let's say you're a one to 10 ratio, more insulin sensitivity would be, you know, you're a one to 12. Um, You really improve your blood sugar control. Like period, point blank. Um, You improve your post-meal numbers, so maybe not going as high after you're eating. Um, You come down faster from high blood sugar, so you're not staying as high longer, and that's, you know, a huge benefit and really contributes to, um, you know, just like lessening complications later on. Um, And yeah, insulin sensitivity is definitely connected with decreasing your risk of things like heart disease, neuropathy, retinopathy, kidney disease, which makes up, I believe, 50% of deaths related to type 1 diabetes. So, um, you know, insulin sensitivity is a huge, is a huge tool that you can have in your pocket to improve all of those things and, and impact your diabetes. 
on that topic of insulin sensitivity, I wanted to talk about exercise because mm -hmm. that's when insulin sensitivity, it, well, it could be very, exercise can be very useful for lowering your insulin sensitivity, but I think it also scares people sometimes exercise. Mm. I've gotten mm -hmm. messages from people that say they're afraid to exercise or they're just oh, yeah. beginning to exercise because they finally feel a little more comfortable, especially with these automated insulin delivery systems we're all using now, or many of us are. How do you think people can feel more comfortable exercising? I know that's a broad question, but like, what are, what are some ways? Yeah. So I will say too, I, I'm a very active person. So I, you know, I shared, I, I played college, uh, college soccer. I work out pretty much every day. It's not always a kickboxing class or a five mile run, but I like doing a variety of different things. It makes me really happy. It increases my insulin sensitivity. Yes. But it also increases my mood, my energy levels, and, um, just, you know, helps me prioritize my, you know, myself on a daily basis. Um, and so I, I really can tell you I have not had a low blood sugar during exercise or a high blood sugar in, I can't remember the last time. And like, it's probably happened, you know, in the past couple months, like once, but like, I can't remember it, which means it wasn't significant enough that like it really impacted me or it was like a huge deal that I like had to stop the workout or anything like that. And um, with that, I know that can sound kind of like annoying of like, oh, like, well, she has perfect numbers and that's not the case at all, right? Like I sit at around, you know, 85% time in range. That means 15% of the time I am out of range, but I'm consistently there. Um, yeah. And it's, it's okay. It's nothing to be, you know, like ashamed about, like we cannot be perfect. I'm, I'm not striving for a hundred percent. That's just like would drive me insane. I'm happy with where I'm at, but all to say with exercise, it is completely possible to do whatever you want to do and not have more times out of range than in range. Um, with that, if you're asking like where to start, like you really have to understand the basics first of all between like anaerobic exercise and aerobic exercise, right? There's types of workouts that drive your blood sugar up for most people. Um, you know, things like weightlifting, anything like sprinting, really like these like short bursts of energy. Then you might have things like, um, you know, tennis, or you're going for a, 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 a kind of like a slow run, or you are um, doing, you know, something at the gym that's more of like a circuit based, right? Like those things may more, more likely than not are going to bring your blood sugar down. Even going for a walk, right? You, you're going to see more of a decrease in your blood sugars versus a, an increase. Um, and so that basic principle, you have to understand that past that it's really about figuring out what your body's patterns are if you ask me blankly like well what do you do for your blood sugars to stay in range that answer is really not important because my blood sugar what i do for my blood sugars and my body is completely different than what you may do than when somebody else needs so you really have to slow down start to journal um, where i started was with post-it notes so i had post-it notes all over my desk in college i was just writing down all of my patterns and connecting it to food and insulin on board and all these different elements and that's how um you know our product the diabetic health journal was was born and so um that's on amazon you can use post-it notes yes or if you want like a more formal log you can get that um but yeah i would say knowing your body's patterns and then number three is understanding insulin sensitivity and when your body is most insulin sensitive so most people are more insulin sensitive towards the end of the day versus in the morning time um, because of cortisol and then also you have just like if you're a female your body works on a 
you know, a, a monthly, it's, it's 24, whatever your cycle is, 24, let's say to 32 days long. Um, it's different for male, men. You guys are on a 24 hour cycle, but our insulin sensitivity differs throughout the entire month. So during your, you know, follicular phase, you may have different insulin sensitivity levels than during your, you know, menstrual phase. So there's, you know, those elements to take into account as well. It's very multi-layered, but once you kind of like get it, like it doesn't feel as hard because it just is, you know, your patterns and what you're doing. Yeah. You kind of touched on what my next question was going to be, which maybe we can expand on, but everyone's diabetes is different. And it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned like how weightlifting can raise people's blood sugars. It doesn't raise my blood sugars at Mm. all. In fact, sometimes it lowers it specifically, I guess when I'm doing like ab exercises, which are kind of like a little different but yeah, or can heavy, be very like weight. yeah but specifically it's like i i don't see a rise but everyone says they see a rise with stress i do see a rise you know there's mm-hmm. all these hormones at play and you and you kind of touched on hormones of women just now um and that's something i really wanted to ask you about because i truly don't know anything in that realm and i know you kind of unpacked it a little bit but i'd love to just hear a little more about that if you yeah. can tell me, yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so passionate about this topic, Justin, because there is such little research done on women um, in this and, and in blood sh- with blood sugars and during your cycle. Um, the ADA, who is responsible for putting out like all of the guidelines, they don't even I don't even think they have really like very robust, if not any, guidelines on this. And you know, I think that there sometimes research takes so long for the research to even get to you know the medical school and then the medical school to get to the doctors the then doctors who are then you know talking to the patients and so if this isn't even really like being looked at right now um it takes you know it's gonna take a while before people with diabetes are really getting taught more about this um so my whole thing is that we've you know i mentioned earlier that we've coach uh we coach both men women and parents of t1d kids but um i would say like 70, 65, 70% of our practice are women, um, you know, adult women with type 1 diabetes. We have a group coaching program, the Decide and Conquer Bootcamp that we run three times a year uh, with every cohort. You know, this is a huge topic that we talk about and really helping people understand how their blood sugars are being impacted by, you know, by their cycle and by their hormones. So um, for, you know, very point blank diabetes type 1 diabetes is harder for women who are not on birth control with type 1 diabetes than it is for um, women who are on birth control and have type 1 diabetes and um, harder than than men right and their cycle um, and so it's important really to understand why and it's knowing that like well what birth control does is it really levels out all of your hormones so you're kind of seeing this like middle level insulin resistance like not super sensitive ever and not super resistant ever but when you're not on birth control right you have this big kind of like roller coaster if you will throughout the entire month where it's really your progesterone and your estrogen um, those things are the mostly progesterone's contributing to more insulin resistance um, at certain phases of your cycle so yeah this is like something i can talk about forever but it really is just important to know that like your cycle and your hormones impact your blood sugars yeah are are people prescribed birth control for diabetes does that happen oh don't even get me started on this justin okay so all right i lost my when i was in my um my very restrictive days for in my early 20s that we spoke about before i lost my cycle for five years because my body fat was so low and i my it just that was like the main contributing factor and i wasn't getting the nutrients and the calories that i needed um 
I went to the doctor several times and the only solution they could give me was go on birth control. Go on birth control, that'll solve the problems, that'll solve the problems. So I would imagine that the same way that they throw birth control at that example, when that was not the root issue and I literally had to figure it out myself, um, I'd imagine that they throw it at people's, uh, and, and not even I imagine, I know this for a fact that when blood sugars are, you know, all erratic, it's like, oh, hey, like, you know, if you're not on birth control, that could help level out some of the, emo the, the you know, the, the hormones, um, the piece of it. And everybody's choice, you know, it's your choice, it's your body. Um, and all to say that like, there's a trade-off. If you are going on birth control, there is a trade-off because you have, you never get to experience half of the month with the insulin sensitivity that you, you know, would potentially have if you were not on birth control. And so there's only like, while you're on birth control, there's like only, there's, there's so, only so much you can do to increase, I guess, you know, your insulin sensitivity because of how it's working with your hormones. Okay, gotcha. Did, You're like, so, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, a lot to take in. I'm gonna listen to that three times after this. And you were mentioning, you know, you were at a point where you were so in, like overly in control of your numbers, limiting yeah. yourself of things, such low body fat. Where you are now, what would you tell your younger self that was in that situation about kind of, you know, the future? Well, I think one thing that I would tell myself back then is that you're looking for happiness in the wrong place. Um, I thought I was unhappy in other areas of my life at the time. I didn't feel like I knew who I was. I didn't have purpose. I didn't know what like my path was. I wasn't happy playing um, soccer in college. There was like a lot of politics and things involved that just I wasn't expecting. There, was, I, I felt very lost. And so I went to controlling my diabetes in the same way that some people go through go to you know controlling or diving into like something else it could be like restricting food and you know eating disorder in that way and mine was kind of this hybrid of being super like perfect with exercise with food and with my diabetes and like no matter how perfect i got it right like it, it didn't solve the underlying issue of like my full holistic happiness and that's why i think i'm so passionate about the work that we do at risely like we really are elevating beyond the traditional standard of diabetes care through our innovative coaching because the, the traditional standard of care doesn't really focus on the whole entire person. They're just focused on the numbers and the, and the insulin and kind of those like quantitative elements of diabetes where it's so much, you know, it's just so much more than that. So I would tell myself I was looking for, for happiness in the wrong place. And I would tell myself, you're going to have diabetes you know, hopefully there's a cure one day, but like more likely than not, you're gonna have diabetes for the rest of your life. Like you need to figure out a way to make this sustainable for you. That's great. Before we end, please tell everyone where they can find you and tell everyone where they can find, uh, find out more about Risley. Yes, please. So for anyone listening, you can find me on Instagram or TikTok, Lauren underscore Bungiorno. Um, I'm still trying to get my TikTok game up, Justin. I watch yours all the time and I'm like, <laughs> all right, I gotta, gotta post a TikTok today. Um, but yeah, Instagram, TikTok, Lauren underscore Bungiorno and uh, Risley Health, R-I-S-E-L-Y uh, dot com. We're also on Instagram as well. And um, yeah, I also wanna say too, I knew today we were gonna be talking about insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance because you had given me that heads up that you wanted to talk about that. So um, I, me, me and the team, we created a freebie for your audience um, talking about hacking insulin resistance. So if anybody wants to download it, I'm sure you can you know, send it or put it in the show notes. 
Yeah, I love that so much. That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm going to put that okay, in there perfect. and I'm also going to watch it myself. <laughs> Thank you Yay. so much. That, that's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, it's a download. So it's a PDF. It's easy to, to go through. But um, I figure just leave leave everybody with a little bit more because I didn't know how much we'd be able to cover. Amazing. And also, we are you and I are going to be doing some sort of Instagram live. Either it would have it may have aired before this, but most likely after this kind of if anyone has questions, um, we'll do like a little Q&A from uh, our last episode in this one. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but Perfect. yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Justin. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I've thrown links to the Hacking Insulin Resistance resource that Lauren mentioned, as well as her social handles and a new challenge they're hosting at Risely. Those are all in today's show notes. The two of us are hosting that Instagram live on September 6th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. It's a Q&A. Come in with your questions and get ready for next week's episode. I met with a rep at Abbott to ask all about Libre2 and Libre3 and their upcoming compatibility with automated insulin systems like Omnipod 5 and T-Slim's Control IQ. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday, wherever you listen and on YouTube. If you'd like to follow me there and on social media, there are links in the show notes. I'm Justin, and I'll see you next week.